future. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this day. So grateful for uh, the way you watch over us, care for us each and every day. Every breath we take comes from you. Thank you for that. Uh, be with us today, Father, as we uh, study your word, as we uh, try and learn a little bit more about uh, what awaits us in heaven. Uh, bless the food uh, that we're about to consume. Bless the hands that prepared it. May everything we do and say this morning bring honor and glory to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'll give you a little background. I, I, as, as some of you guys know, my uh, older brother passed away on the 17th, usually the 17th at 10:15 uh, a.m. He went out, went to be with the Lord, and uh, he was 82 years old. He'd been a Christian for 65 years, so he was still working on it. <laughs> no, he was he uh, he is quite a guy. But all three of his children are Christians, and. Uh, we went to the Celebration of Life uh, ceremony for him, and his number two son, uh, my nephew Eric, bought a bunch of these books and gave them away to the people there at the service, and uh, unfortunately he didn't get as many takers as he would have liked, <laughs> you know, but that's, I guess, pretty, pretty common. But um, I, I, read, I took it home and read it and gave it to my wife and she read it. We both were very impressed with uh, the quality of the, of the material. So uh, I am planning on uh, going a little further and buying a larger quantity and giving it to our church for part of our outreach program. Good morning! Oh, morning. Hi. You want some coffee, my friend? I'm good, baby. Okay. Did you get one of these? No, but can I have one? You, you are have awesome. It. You want a cup of coffee? I would love a cup of coffee. Okay. And I brought three waters here extra, so. Thanks. Thank you for my book. Thank you, thank you. Oh, you're certainly welcome. My husband Pass along when you finish reading Oh, oh I do. So, I seriously do. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Um, anyway, I'm planning on uh, doing that to use it part of our outreach program. It, um, it's a book of uh, biblical answers to common questions, 18 common questions really, um, about heaven. And everybody's looking to wonder what's, what's going to happen in the future, where we're going, what what's uh, what's ahead of us and and I think this does a great job of getting into the scriptures and, and it references the, the book uh, chapter and verse on each question so that it, you can go to the Bible yourself and read it and, and, and in case you don't believe what he has to say uh, you see what the Bible says about the same thing uh, it's, I think it's very well done, and I think it's well worth reading. What I'd like to do is kind of go through these questions one at a time, if we could. And uh, it talks about, starts out with the present and future heaven and talks about where we're where we're going you know there's a lot of 
The Catholics believe in a purgatory, an in-between stage where you you stay until you get prayed into to heaven or whatever. That's not in the Bible anywhere, uh, but but it is uh, what they believe. And for 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 us Christians, um, we usually think of uh, uh, an, an intermediate heaven um, where we might go when we die. It's a place to we'll live until our bodily resurrection, and uh, our, our our loved ones will be there, waiting for the uh, the resurrection of the body, and. Uh, it's, um, it's a stage where, where it's like an in-between before the actual new earth and, and, uh, and the resurrection of the human body. And what kind of clothes do you like? Will heaven, the new earth, be an actual place? If you go to John 14, 3, Jesus told his disciples, I will be back and take you with uh, take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And and he describes this this uh, spatial in spatial terms this uh, heaven. And uh, it, he, it refers to a specific location. It's not some I'm up in the clouds somewhere and there's going to actually be an earth and be a, be a location where you will be. And he will come back and, and take you with him. The next. Sal, would you read on page 16 what heaven will be like? If you could read the first sure. couple of paragraphs. <clears throat> Scripture gives us many images that are full of implications about heaven. Put them together and these jigsaw pieces form a beautiful picture. For example, we're told that heaven is a city, Hebrews 11.10 and 13.14. We hear the word city, we shouldn't scratch our heads and think, I wonder what that means. We understand cities. Cities have people, buildings, activities, gatherings, art, music, athletics, events, of all kinds of goods and services. Heaven is also described as a country, Hebrews 11:16. We know about countries. We know what Earth is like, and we know much of the new Earth. What much of the new Earth will be like? We can't imagine our present Earth without rivers, mountains, trees, and flowers. Then why would we try to imagine the new Earth without these features? If the word Earth means anything, it means that we can expect to find earthly things. There, including mountains, atmosphere, water, trees, people, houses, and even cities, buildings, streets, which are specifically mentioned in Revelation 21 and 22. That's, uh, that's really, you know, I never thought of it myself that way. You know, I, 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 you know I've read that, you know, we would have a new earth and we'd inhabit it, but I didn't think of it as being that much like our current earth. But, you know, it's pretty clear in the Bible that it's going to be pretty, a, an interesting place. It's not going to be, you're not going to be bored to death. <laughs> what will we look like in heaven? I, I like to think yeah. about what it talks about the new earth and stuff. I, I like to think about if you can imagine 
the best places on earth. Yeah. The most beautiful things yeah. you've ever seen on earth. That it's all going to be like that. It's all going to be the best of the best. Yeah. Screensavers. Think about yeah. I think about going up to the Smoky Mountains and yeah. through the mountains and the beautiful scenery and and that's what it's going to be like. It's really, it's really something to look forward to. What will we look like in heaven? They talk about the resurrected body here, and as as we know, like my brother when he passed away, he had Parkinson's, and and for the last four or five months that he lived, he was confined to bed, and his body just gave up on him. Just he uh, he wasn't able to do anything, and and uh, you know we're we're looking forward to a. A resurrected body that will be perfect in every way. We like it was originally intended to be. You know, I think a lot of people, a lot of people think that once we once we die, that we're going to be just spiritual. Yeah. But I, I think it's clear that you know we were we were created from the beginning to be both physical and spiritual. Mm -hmm. That's how we were created, and when we were created that way, it was good. It yes. was, you know, that's the way. That's the way man was intended to be. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly what God intended was for us to be like that. But we screwed it up. <laughs> we screwed it up pretty good, but yeah. <laughs> it's really uh, very interesting. What will we do for all eternity? Here, this is another interesting one. I heard people talk about they don't want to, they don't want to go to heaven because they're just going to sit around and play their harps and sing hymns and that type of thing. But uh, it's pretty clear when you're reading the Bible, there's there's going to be a lot of things going on. That would you read the first couple paragraphs, Bob? Sure. At death, the human spirit leaves the body, Ecclesiastes 12, 7. <clears throat> we go either to heaven or hell, Luke 16, 22-31. As demonstrated in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, affirmed by Christ when he tells the chief, the thief, he will be with him in paradise today, Luke 23-43. There is immediate conscious existence after death, both in heaven and hell, 2 Corinthians 5-8. Revelation 6, 9 through 11, Philippians 1, 23. Both in the intermediate heaven and on the new earth, we'll find our greatest pleasure in God. We'll worship and thank Him as we see Him revealed in the wonders of creation, including our fellow creatures. Keep going. Um, yeah, I want you to do one more paragraph. Okay. Furthermore, incredible though it may seem, God has decided that we're actually going to help him run the universe. Luke 19, 11 through 27. <clears throat> he will give us renewed minds and bodies so that we will be whole people, full of energy and vision, eager to undertake new projects for God's glory and our enrichment. So it isn't going to be boring. We're not going to be sitting around doing nothing. It, it says that, you know, it talks about us us um, being a part of this this new world where we're part, uh, with with Jesus. 
so that's why we're supposed to be serving here to get practice right. for what we're doing. Get practice, that's exactly right. <laughs> I still want to be in the choir. We're ready. Yeah. This is it. This we're is it. We're in. The next uh, question, what will our relationship be with God be like? And, and that's, a, that's an interesting thought in itself. Uh, Mike, you want to read that? The thought of seeing God is shocking and almost blasphemous to anyone who understands the Old Testament teaching on transcendence and inapproachability of God. Sees God's face as the sinners we are is unthinkable. Yet Revelation uh, 22.4 says of God's resurrected people on the new earth, they will see his face. This means that something radical must have happened to us by then. Is only because we are, we will be fully righteous in Christ, standing in our resurrected bodies, untainted by sin, that we will be able to see God and live. To see God will be our greatest joy. Not only will we see his face and live, we will likely wonder if we ever lived before we saw his face. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. I remember, you know, reading in the Bible about, you know, you couldn't look at God's face or you die from it. You know, yeah. Because you were uh, not a fully righteous person, you were a sinner. And, and, but, but we won't have that issue when we get to heaven. Really interesting. Okay. Um, let's go with over easy. Can I have one of these? Okay. All right. The link or the pen? Um, blank. Okay, this is one I, I really find interesting because I think a lot of people, a lot of people think it's, uh, it's true. Won't heaven be boring? If you picture the eternal heaven as a disembodied state, you have reason to fear boredom because God doesn't make us for such a world. But when you understand the meaning, meaning of our bodily resurrection and the new universe, all thoughts of boredom will disappear. The new earth will be a place where impulses to come home and to launch out into a new adventure will both be fully satisfied. It'll be a place where we're constantly discovering where everything, everything is always fresh and possession of a thing is as good as a pursuit of it. Yet it's a place where we're fully, we'll be fully at home, where everything is as it ought to be, and where we'll find undiminished that mysterious something we never found in this life. I can't remember where I heard it, but someone said something about boredom was like a result of sin. Yeah. Like we get bored because of sin and... What, what, what's that old saying to a board mind or something about idle hands but a board right. mind is also an idle play thing so. yeah. yeah I've heard that a lot that you know it's going to be so boring well this, this is pretty clear that they don't believe that this is a, the case at all there's going to be nothing boring about it 
this is something that I really, the next one up, um, uh, Sal, would you read the, the next one? Will there be animals? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've included two full chapters on this in the best name seven but I will try to summarize the main points here. Animals were part of God's perfect original design for Earth and mankind. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, Genesis 1.25. Because animals were a significant part of life on the original Earth, and Scripture makes it clear that God will remake the Earth just as He will remake mankind, it stands to reason that animals will be part of the new Earth. Why wouldn't they be? We're told that animals, along with all creation, long for the deliverance that will be theirs at the time of redemption of our bodies and the resurrection. They want, they wait and long for it because they will be a part of it. As the entire creation, including animals, plants, and nature itself fell on humanity's coattails, so shall the entire creation rise on our coattails as beneficiaries of Christ's redemptive work. Yeah, that's uh, that's something I never really thought a lot about, you know. But that's, it, it stands to reason, you know, if he's going to remake the uh, the earth, that it, it will include animals as a part of it. Was originally part of man's job. <coughs> yeah. To tend the yeah, garden and yeah. to you know care for the animals and stuff. So. True. <laughs> Well, we have our own homes in heaven. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. I, will, I am going there to prepare a place for you, John 14, 2. The word place is singular, but rooms is plural. This suggests that Jesus has in mind for each of us an individual dwelling that is a smaller part of a larger place. And the word room is cozy and intimate, and the terms house or estate suggest spaciousness. That in, that in heaven, a place both spacious and intimate. Some of us enjoy coziness, being in a private space. Some of us enjoy large, largeness, a wide open space. Most of us enjoy both, and the newer earth will offer both. Mm -hmm. Interesting in itself. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Bob, would you read the what won't be in heaven? I certainly can. <clears throat> what won't be in heaven? No death, no suffering, no funeral homes, abortion <laughs> clinics, or psychiatric wards. No rape, missing children, or dr drug rehabilitation centers. No bigotry, no muggings, no killings. No worry or depression or economic downturns. No wars, no unemployment. No anguish over failure and miscommunication. No con men, no locks, no death. No mourning, no pain. No boredom, no arthritis, no handicaps, no cancer, no taxes, no bills, no computer crashes, no weeds, no bombs, no drunkenness, no traffic jams and accidents, no septic tank backups, no mental illness, no unwanted emails. Close friendships, but no clicks, no laughter, but no put downs, 
intimacy but no temptation to immorality, no hidden agendas, no backroom deals, no betrayals. Imagine meal time, full of stories, laughter and joy, without fear of insensitivity, inappropriate behavior, behavior, anger, gossip, lust, jealousy, hurt feelings, or anything that eclipses joy. That will be it. That's pretty interesting, huh? Yeah. 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 That would be quite different, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'd be boring, Larry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that stuff going on. <laughs> I, I, I can do it without those scam, those, those scam alerts. Uh, <laughs> scam yeah. warnings I get on phone all the time. Yeah. Hmm. Well, time no longer exists in heaven. Mike, would you read that? 37? We will live for eternity as finite beings. God, who is timeless, can accommodate himself to us by entering into time that we cannot accommodate ourselves to timelessness because that is a condition of infinity. The phrase, and time shall be no more, comes from a hymn, not from the Bible. Revelation 8.1 speaks of silence in heaven for about half an hour. Even the presence of music in heaven implies time because meter, temple, and rest, all of which are intrinsic to music, are time-related. What is a half note or a quarter note without time? Songs, like conversations, have a beginning and end and middle. Some people point to 2 Peter 3 8, evidence that time is suspended in heaven, but that verse repeats, refers to God, not humans. When it says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day, it is speaking of God's infinity. He exists outside of time and space, and we, but we don't. He created us to live in time and space as finite creatures. Heaven enters into a sequence of earth, of time on earth, right down to the inhabitants of heaven rejoicing over conversions on earth. Martyrs look for and anticipate judgment on earth, asking God how long, and being told they must wait a little longer. Waiting involves the passing of time. Interesting. Well, we know everything when we get to heaven. Sal, could you take a look at that? God alone is omniscient. God sees clearly and comprehensively. In heaven, we will see things with clarity. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. But we will never see comprehensively. We will know much more than we know now. But we will never know everything because we will never be God. In heaven, we will be without flaws. But not knowing everything isn't a flaw. It's part of being finite. Angels don't know everything. And they long to know more. 1 Peter 1, 12. They are flawless, and they are flawless, but finite. Shouldn't we expect to long for greater knowledge, just as angels do? We'll spend eternity gaining the greater knowledge of this. God puts us in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. This means that God will be revealing himself to us throughout eternity. There seems to clearly indicate we will learn in heaven. We will enter heaven, we will presumably begin with the knowledge that we had at the time of our death. After all, we give an account of our lives, which requires knowledge. God may correct and enhance our knowledge. I imagine that he will reveal new things to us and set us on a course of eternal learning. Once we're in our resurrected bodies with resurrected brains, 
our capacity to learn should be greatly should greatly increase. Yeah. Again, that that speaks to the, there won't be boredom and we'll be constantly learning as as we go along, which is interesting in itself. Will we remember what happened on Earth? After death, the martyrs depicted in Revelation 6, 9 through 11 clearly remember at least some of what happened on Earth, including what they underwent when they, that they underwent great suffering. If they remember that, what wouldn't they remember? There's no reason to assume that in heaven we will forget our lives on Earth. In fact, we likely remember much more there than we do here, and we'll probably be able to see how God and angels intervene on our behalf when we didn't realize it. In heaven, those who endured bad things on earth are comforted for them. Luke 16:25. This comfort implies memory of what happened. If there is no memory of the bad things, what would we, would be the need for the purpose of or nature of comfort concerning you. It actually today. <laughs> After we die, we will give an account of our lives on earth, down to specific actions and words. Second Corinthians 5:10, Matthew 12:36. Given our improved minds and clear thinking, our memories should be more, not less, acute concerning our past lives on earth. Certainly we must remember the things for which we will give an account, because we'll be held accountable for more than we presently remember. Presumably our memory will be far better as well. Heaven cleanses us but does not revise or extinguish our origins or history. Undoubtedly, we will remember God's works of grace in our lives, comforting, assuring, sustaining, and empowering us to live for Him. On the new earth, human history will be remembered, since there will be memorials to the 12 tribes and the apostles, Revelations 21, 12 to 14. Christ's nail-scarred hands and feet in His eternal resurrected body Prove that his suffering and redemption and the fact that they are, were necessitated by our sins will not be forgotten. Well, let's eat our breakfast and then we'll get back. So we're going to walk around embarrassed the whole time. <laughs> Bob, would you go to page 43? Can those in heaven, in the present heaven, see what's happening on earth? That's an interesting one as well. Those in the present heaven see what's happening on earth? The answer is yes, at least to some extent. The martyrs, after they are in heaven, call out, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Revelation 6, 9-11. Clearly, these people in heaven not only remember what happened to them on earth, but they also know that God hasn't yet brought judgment on their persecutors. They know something of what has happened and what has not happened on earth since they died. Doesn't that suggest that they can see events on earth? When Babylon is brought down, an angel points to what is happening on earth and says, Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. 
God is juster for the way she treated you. Revelation 18.20. The fact that he specifically addresses people living in heaven indicates they're aware of what's happening on earth. When heaven saints return with Christ to set up his millennial kingdom, it seems unthinkable to imagine that they would have remained ignorant of the culmination of human history taking place on earth. The picture of saints in heaven blissfully unaware of what is transpiring on earth is baseless. After all, God and his angels and the saints themselves are about to return for the ultimate battle in the history of the universe after which Christ will be crowned king. Those on earth may be ignorant of heaven, but those in heaven are not ignorant of earth. Of course, in the eternal state, we will not merely see what is happening on earth, but we will live out our daily lives on the new earth. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. If people on, in heaven are aware of bad things happening on earth, how could it really be heaven? Many books maintain that those in heaven can, cannot be aware of people and events on earth because they presumably would be made unhappy by all the suffering and evil, making heaven something less than heaven. I believe this argument is invalid. After all, God knows exactly what's happening on earth, yet heaven is not diminished by that knowledge. Likewise, the angels know what's happening on earth, yet they enjoy heaven. In fact, the angels see the torment of hell, but it doesn't negate their joy in God's presence. Revelation 14.10 Abraham and Lazarus saw the rich man's agonies in hell, but, that, but it didn't cause paradise to cease to be paradise. I'm not suggesting we will see, see into hell, but these passages surely prove that nothing God's people could see on earth would ruin heaven for us. Our happiness in heaven will not be based on ignorance, but on perspective. We should be encouraged that our loved ones who are with Christ are not in a state of ignorance, but are vitally interested in God's kingdom on earth. It's likely that they cheer us on, on in our service of the king. Hebrews 12.1 says, We are surrounded by such a great cloud, cloud of witnesses. This suggests clouds, crowds get, gathered in a stadium to watch the athletes on the field below. So it may simply refer to the examples of past saints that we are to follow. The departing of believing loved ones is not the end of our relationship with them, only an interruption. We have not lost them because we know where they are. They are experiencing the joy of Christ's presence in a place so wonderful that Christ called it paradise. And one day, we're told, we'll be brought back together in a magnificent reunion to be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, 18. When you think about that, see, in my family, we've lost my, my mother and father in heaven, and four of the eight children, uh, four of my siblings are gone now. And it's real encouraging to think that, you know, they're, they're there waiting and they know what's going on. 
That's quite a thing. I think the other thing that most people don't appreciate is that there's a present heaven which has a certain situation because of the fact that the earth is still, you know, the fallen earth is still here. Right. But, but the future heaven, the future earth will be different because the fallen earth will no longer be there. Right. Okay. So there, there won't be anything to look down upon and, and be sad. You know, or there won't be any waiting for, That's for God to, to judge and, and for justice and stuff, because all of that will have come to pass. Sal, would you read uh, 48? Being with Christ will be the greatest joy of heaven. The next greatest joy will be reunited with our loved ones who have died. The certainty of the ultimate reunion is so sweet that it makes the party bearable. Scripture nowhere suggests a memory wipe causing us to not recognize family and friends. In fact, we wouldn't know our loved ones. If we would know our loved ones, the comfort of an afterlife reunion spoken of in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, 18 would be no comfort at all. Theologian Jason Morales said in the passage, there would be no point in these words of consolation if it did not imply the mutual recognition of saints. The hope with which he cheers weird Christians is the hope of meeting their beloved friends again in the moment that we are saved. In the moment that we are saved, shall meet our several friends in heaven. We shall at once know them, and they will at once know us. At the transfiguration, the three disciples recognized Moses and Elijah, even though they weren't told who, two, who the two men were. And they couldn't have previously known what they looked like. This may suggest that we will instantly recognize people we know, but have not previously met, perhaps as a result of distinguishing characteristics emanating through their physical appearance. If we recognize people we haven't known on Earth, surely we recognize people we have known. Isn't that interesting? That we recognize people like that? Like they said, Mo they recognized Moses and Elijah, but how did they recognize them? They never had never seen them before. But Just so known from their photos. <laughs> it's a really interesting thing. Mike, uh, would you read uh, 51? Jesus said the resurrected people would not be married. Yet scripture makes it clear that there will be marriage in heaven. There will be one marriage between Christ and his bride. We long for a perfect marriage. That's exactly what we'll have, a perfect marriage with Christ. The wife, Nancy, my wife, Nancy, is my best friend and my closest sister in Christ. When I see her in heaven, will I say, did you used to be my wife? Did we have children? Thank you. Think they'll remember me? The notion that we would not remember our closest earthly relationships is absurd. It suggests our daily earthly lives and relationships are of no equal consequence, eternal consequence, while scripture teaches that the opposite. Jesus said the institution of human marriage would 
and having fulfilled his purpose to anticipate and reflect the marriage of Christ and his bride. But he did not say or imply that the deep relationship built between the married couples would end. In fact, Nancy and I rejoice that we will all together be part of a perfect marriage in Christ. God's our Father, we are his children, and we are each other's brothers and sisters. We are Christ's bride, and he is our husband. Yeah, that's, that's something that uh, one of us lost one of us. How can we know for sure that we'll go to heaven? This is, uh, this is the thing that will, uh, to me, makes the whole thing worthwhile and, and I think makes it a good outreach tool is that it, does, it presents a gospel message and it tells you how you, how you go about being sure that you'll, you'll be in heaven. A Barna poll shows that for every American who believes he or she is going to hell, there are 120 who believe they're going to heaven. Yet Christ said otherwise, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Heaven, then, is not our default destination. No one goes there automatically. Unless our sin problem is dealt with, the only place we can go is hell, our true default destination when we die. In the Bible, Jesus talks more about hell than anyone else. Matthew 10, 28, 13, uh, 40-42. Mark 9, 43-44. He refers to it as a real place and describes it in graphic terms, including raging fires and the worm that doesn't die. Christ says the unsaved, Christ says the unsaved will be thrown outside into the darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew 8:12. It is possible to know for sure that we're going to heaven. The Apostle John said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life, 1 John 5.13. So we can know for sure that we'll, we'll go to heaven when we die. Do you? If not, please read this carefully the last few pages of this booklet and maybe the most important thing you ever read. What could be more important for you to consider than whether you go to hell, heaven or to hell? To sin means to fall short of God's glory standards. Sin is what ended Eden's paradise. And for all of us, like Adam and Eve, are sinners. You too are a sinner. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Sin separates us from a relationship with God. Isaiah 59.2, there's a huge gulf between us and God, and there's nothing we can do to cross it. Sin deceives us and makes us think we're, that wrong is right and right is wrong. Proverbs 4, Proverbs 14.12, it makes us imagine that we're okay when we're really not. Sin is, has terrible consequences, but God has provided a solution. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6, 23. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loved us so much that he became a man to deliver us from our sin, John 3.16. He came to identify with us in our humanity and our weakness, but he did so without being tainted by our sin. Hebrews 2, uh, 2 17-18, and 4.15-16. Jesus died on the cross as the only one worthy to pay the penalty for our sins demanded by the holiness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. On the cross, he took upon himself the hell we deserve in order to purchase for us the heaven we don't deserve. Being God, and therefore all-powerful, Jesus Christ rose from the grave, defeating sin and conquering death. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 4, and 54 to 57. When Christ died on the cross for us, he said, it is finished, John 1930. The Greek word translated it is finished was commonly written across certificates of death when they were canceled. It meant paid in full. Christ died so that the certificate of death consisting of all our sins could once and for all be marked paid in full. Only when our sins are dealt with, Christ can enter and can we enter and we enter heaven. We cannot pay our own way, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12 Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection is a bridge that crosses that chasm which separates us from God. Because of Jesus Christ's atonement for our sins, God freely offers us forgiveness. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquity. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far that has he removed our transgressions from us. To be forgiven, we must recognize and repent our sins. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Forgiveness is not automatic. It's conditioned upon confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Christ offers to everyone the gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. There is no righteous deed that we can do that will earn us a place in heaven. We come to Christ empty-handed, and we can take no credit for our salvation. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your, from yourself, it's a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. This gift cannot be worked for, earned, or achieved. It is dependent on our merit or effort, but solely not dependent on our merit or effort, but solely on Christ's generous sacrifice on our behalf. Now is the time to make things right with God. This, as I said, this is, I think, really good as an outreach tool.
And that's, that's what I'm planning on doing myself. Is, uh, Great idea. A lot to think about there. Yes. If anyone wants to take a look, this is the full book that this pamphlet yeah. came from. So there's oh, obviously wow. a lot more, a lot more to it. Oh, he found it. And those are just, those are just uh, some of the questions, right? You know, the answers and stuff. And part one in this is the theology of heaven, and then part two is questions and answers, and then uh, part three is living in light of heaven. So it's, uh, it's a good. It's a good study, it's a good read. Mm -hmm.